Well, we have been in a series. We have been going through what is called the five points of Calvinism, the doctrines of grace. And today we come to the last one, the perseverance of the saints. If you prepare a a study or a sermon, you start to get a feel for how many pages correlate to how many minutes. And you obviously want to stay within a certain uh, minute count that people are used to. And uh, as I was going to through this passage and well these two passages and trying to put down everything that I thought was essential and and not put down too much I realized that I was uh over my normal page count and this might go a little bit long and then I realized I'm preaching on perseverance of the saints <laughs> and and so there's no problem and the sermon is actually your example as to what you ought to do you must persevere to the end right so if you fall asleep, you are clearly unsaved. Uh, that's how that works. But we started with total depravity, and we heard about the fallen state of every human being apart from Christ. And then we moved on to unconditional election, talking about the act of God to set His saving love upon His people. And next we had limited atonement, right? That, that specific work of Christ to purchase His people for Himself, And then last week was irresistible grace, the Holy Spirit in love drawing the people of God unto Himself. And the final doctrine in this series is perseverance of the saints. Can a saved person lose their salvation? Should you be worried about your eternal security? What about those that we see who believe and then fall away? Right, We've all seen that. And, and that's probably the, the thing that makes this topic the most difficult, right? You can probably think of somebody that you saw believe, trust, do many things that you would describe as very Christian. And, and today they're not walking with the Lord. Right? This was my experience in youth group for years. Uh, the vast majority of kids that came through youth group, uh, many of them today are not saved. Um, every, every, Every kid that I had teach a lesson at youth group at some point is no longer walking with the Lord. And at the time, I gave them that opportunity because I saw good fruit in their lives and I wanted to encourage them and they expressed an interest and, and so I had them teach a lesson at youth group. More popularly or more in, in the mainstream uh, Christian church in America, uh, Ravi Zacharias might be a name that comes to mind, Right? Somebody who, for years and years, did faithful, or what looked like faithful ministry. And obviously we don't know the state of his soul, but things came out at the end of his life that were very disturbing. And so what do we do with these things? How do we view salvation when it comes to persevering to the end? What happens when somebody seems to believe and then falls away? Well, today we're going to look at biblical answers to these questions. And we're going to do it as we study the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. And in simple form, this doctrine says that those who are born again by the Spirit of God will persevere in their faith unto the end. right? Until they die and go to be with the Lord or until Christ returns. Those born again by the Spirit of God will certainly persevere to the end. And just from a logical standpoint, which can be of some value, from a logical standpoint, you can see how this makes sense. 
Right? If you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and then predestined in love by God the Father, and purchased by Christ on the cross, and then drawn by the Holy Spirit, logically, if God has done all of those things from start to your salvation, then He is going to finish His work. Right? It is preposterous to think that God will let you go after all of what He has already done. He will finish what He has started. From our perspective, we can understand this idea of believing and then not believing. There's plenty of things that maybe when you were younger you believed in that today you do not believe in anymore. Every one of us started not believing in Christ and now we believe in Christ if you are saved. We understand this change. But think about it from God's perspective. If salvation is not secure, then the Holy Spirit must leave you and remove the gift of faith that He has given to you. Christ somehow has to return the payment for your sins and return that to you. If you're in a debate with somebody on this topic, I think this is the strongest point to bring up, to think about what Christ accomplished on the cross and the reality that that cannot be reversed. Right When the cup of wrath was poured out on Christ, there's no unpouring of that. Right, Christ consumed it and the wrath is gone. So that wrath can't be reinvigorated and returned to you. The Scripture says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Well, if this can change, then, then Scripture is shattered because you can go from no condemnation to condemnation. God would have to retract His decree of adoption. His eternal purpose in adopting His people would be thwarted if we could go from saved to unsaved. And you, once alive, would be returned to the deadness of your sins. This isn't simply, I, I, I believe and now I don't, or God saying, I chose and now I don't. This is an entire reversal of the intent and the work of God. Right? It says in Isaiah 46.10, I will accomplish all my purpose. And this would mean that God cannot and does not accomplish all of His purpose, but rather He is dethroned and the Scripture ought to be torn up. That's what it means for somebody to lose their salvation if they truly had salvation. And so this doctrine is essential. It is crucial. But our faith is not grounded just on logic. Our faith is logical. We may have to get to heaven to understand all the logic of our faith. There are some things we won't understand this side of heaven, but we don't ground our faith in logic. We ground it in the Word of God. So let's go to the Scriptures and see what the Scriptures say about the perseverance of the saints. You can write these down if you'd like to. I'm going to go quickly through the references. But in John 3.36, it says that whoever believes in the Son has, has eternal life. Currently possessed. John 6 Verse 39 to 40. This is the will, this is Jesus speaking, this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will, again, I will raise Him up on the last day. Romans 8.1, we already referenced that. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
currently, and that verse will be true until you die. Romans 8.30, those whom He predestined, He also called. Those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, right, past tense, He also glorified, past tense. Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. None of us have acquired possession yet, but we have a guarantee that we will. Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Right? There are things we can stand on, ground our faith in, certainties the Scripture gives us as promises. Two more. Hebrews 10.14, For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Right? We are those being sanctified. Where the work is not done, He has perfected for all time you, even though you're still in that process of sanctification. And last one, coming, from, coming at it from the other side, 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Right? John speaking of those that walked away from the faith, and he said, look, if they were of the faith, they would have stayed. So, scripturally, when God saves a sinner, they are eternally, forever, always secure in Christ. Their sins are forever washed away. Right? Your sins are completely forever gone if you are in Christ, and your inheritance in heaven is guaranteed. But I want to look at this doctrine in more detail. So we'll start in 1 Peter. You can turn there, 1 Peter chapter 1. Because I want to look at some different questions. Well, what errors do we need to avoid as we think about this doctrine? How does, how does perseverance happen? Well, we all know that we stumble and we fall and we struggle. We all know that we've seen people fall away. So, so can I have assurance? How do I persevere? If we are eternally secure, does it matter how we live? Can't we just sin freely? Because we are eternally secure. So, so then what does this perseverance look like? We'll start in 1 Peter 1, in verse 3. And we're going to be looking to avoid a couple of errors this morning. And this is the same two errors we want to avoid in every one of these doctrines that we have considered over the past five weeks. The first one is to go too far to the side of God's sovereignty. Right? That might sound odd, but think of it this way. I'm saved and nothing I do or say or experience can affect or change that. This is the, the idea you can get if you call this doctrine once saved, always saved. Technically true, but I don't think it's a helpful way to speak about it. And you, if you're thinking this, you might say, well, Jesus says, I gave them eternal life and they will never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hands. Christ has paid it all and so I can live a life full of sin because my salvation is secure. 
That's what's called going too far to the side of God's sovereignty. He's going to take care of it all. He already has. It doesn't matter what I do. That would be an error that we need to avoid. The other error we need to avoid is going too far to the side of man's responsibility. This idea that my salvation depends entirely on my personal holiness. And if you just read a verse like Hebrews 10.26, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. That seems to insinuate that I am, if I sin too much, in danger of losing my salvation because something has happened where Christ cannot take care of this anymore. And so I am in every moment in danger of teetering and falling into unbelief and therefore damnation. The problem is I... I supported both of those errors with Scripture. And so, in order to avoid both of these errors, okay, we don't find the Scriptures that we like and use them to support our, our view. No, we take all of the Scripture and combine it, harmonize it, so that we can understand this doctrine in fullness. And so that is our task this morning as we go into First Peter 1. It's this idea of, of, of tension in the Bible. Right? That there are seemingly two different ideas pulling you in opposite directions. Right? The sovereignty of God pulls this way, man's responsibility pulls the other way. And the error is when you fall onto one side or the other. The truth is found when you are held in the middle by both of those ideas. Right? We've been doing this all along. Sinners are dead in their trespasses and sins. And yet they are responsible to hear and believe the gospel. God calls His own. And yet Jesus still says, Come to Me, all of you who weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? God is sovereign. Man is responsible. These two things work together. His grace is irresistible, and yet the sinner must repent. And that is the call of the gospel. And so we're looking to maintain this here with this doctrine. You are not robots. God is not the, the puppeteer in control and you are doing absolutely nothing. But at the same time, you are not in control. God is still in control. If He is not in control, then we have no reason to worship Him. And so we are responsible creatures and God is the sovereign Lord of everything that happens on this earth and He alone deserves worship and glory and praise. And so we have to try to figure out how to apply that and understand that in the perseverance of the saints. So 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So this is Peter writing, obviously, under the Holy, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and Peter begins his letter with worship. Right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes right into the work of salvation, right? According to his great mercy, this is in the middle of verse 3, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, right? This is, this is unconditional election. This is 
Christ's atoning work for His people. This is irresistible grace. He has caused us to be born again. This is God moving first. Right? He is the one who does this work. But then Peter focuses on what we are born into. We are born again into something. And he first calls it a living hope. We are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, not a dead hope, but a living, vital, alive hope. Something that you can trust in and bank on. If you gaze into the future, if you are a believer and you gaze into the future and you see the end of your life, what do you see right after that? Or you see a living hope. A hope of being alive forever with Christ, with God in eternity. This is a, an instructive, a helpful thing to think about. If you are not saved, what do you see when you gaze to the end of your life? It's easy to get distracted by everything here and now, all the, the difficulties or the excitements. Everything in this world is, it can be consuming. What do you see at the end of your life? Because a few thousand years into eternity, only one thing is going to matter, and that is what did you do with Christ? You will never look up from hell and say it was worth it to do all of that sin. And in heaven, the, the believer will never look back and say, life was just too difficult. I wish I had not followed Christ so faithfully. The believer will look back and rejoice. And the person in hell will look back and forever feel sorrow because they rejected the only hope, the living hope that the Christian has. It is a hope that is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Right? We can be sure of our eternal hope because Christ has already conquered the one great enemy of every human being, and that is death. Not only physical death, but more importantly, spiritual death. Right? He has conquered death, and He has given us His righteousness and His holiness. He has taken away our sins so that we can look to that resurrection day with great hope because He has gone before us. He has been resurrected and He stands ready, waiting to welcome us home. So it's not just a living hope. Verse 4, it's also to an inheritance, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is salvation in its fullness, right? We are saved as believers. We are saved now, but we're not experiencing the fullness of that salvation. A future hope awaits. It is imperishable. It will never go away. It will never die. It is undefiled. It will never spoil. It will never be corrupted. It will never rot. It is unfading. It's never going to lose its luster. It's never going to lose its beauty. It is ready for you, believer. It is ready for you right now. And it will be ready for you on the day when you arrive. It is kept in heaven for you. You are not keeping it. I lose plenty of things. I forget many things. God Almighty keeps this in heaven for His people. Peter is emphasizing the security, the certainty of this reward. And, and 
Just in case you think that the reward is secure, but somehow you're not going to make it, he keeps going. Verse 5. You who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is covering everything. Peter is not missing anything here. The reward is certain. Christ has gone before us. Resurrection is certain. Death cannot defeat this reality. And you will make it. You are guaranteed to make it. God is guarding you. He does not fail. He does not make mistakes. He does not miss. He always achieves His purpose. And He is guarding you so that you will make it. He is more diligent. He is more faithful. He is more disciplined. He is more trustworthy than any other being in the, in the entire universe. And certainly more than any of us. He is holding on. He is all-powerful. Nobody can, can loosen his grasp. Satan is far more powerful and wily and intelligent than any of us put together. It, it, if it was left up to us, it, we are hopeless compared to Satan. He would defeat us in an instant. God, God speaks a word and Satan is defeated. That there is nothing that can prevent this from happening because God is the one doing it. He is the one that forever has a hold on His people. You will reach the reward. It will be there and you will reach it. You are guarded. You are shielded. You are protected. Not, not from difficulties. Not from trials. Look at what Peter says here. You're, you're guarded through faith. What, what happens when a, a believer... Well, we'll say a professing believer. We haven't gotten to that part yet, but we'll say a professing believer. What happens when they fall away, right? They lose their faith. They stop trusting in the Lord, trusting in Christ and holding on to Him. God guards His people through faith. That means He guards the thing that needs to fail in order for you to fall away. This means that you can go through trials, you can go through disappointments and sorrows, and God is ensuring in the midst of all of those, your faith will not fail. And so therefore, you will make it through. This isn't protection against stumbling. It's not protection against doubts. But it is protection against your faith failing. And so as a believer, you will continue to hold on to the gospel. You will continue to trust in Christ for salvation. Unbelief and failure to hope in God is what causes falling away from God. And so God promises through Peter that that is the very thing that will be protected. And so, believer, you will make it because God will make sure that your faith remains until you make it. This is exactly what Jesus does in, in Luke 22 when he's talking to Peter. And maybe Peter remembered this when he was writing this, right? Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Peter failed. Oh, he failed. This was before he denied Christ. 
He failed, but his faith did not because Christ held on to him and preserved his faith. So since by the power of God your faith will not fail, then you will continue to believe and trust and you will therefore persevere to the end. And this is the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. And it is, it is part one. It's the, the first half, the first side of a coin. And then we'll look at the other side. But we've started to answer some of these questions, right? We've looked at what error we need to avoid on, on this side. How does perseverance happen? Can you have assurance? Yes, you can. But the flip side is also looking at what we are called to do What responsibility do we have when it comes to staying faithful? So for that, we'll turn back a few pages to Hebrews chapter 3. And I wanted to do this because if we just preach the first half of this, then we can have, I think, some difficulty when we come to passages like Hebrews 3. Because it seems to say something different, but it is the Word of God, and we are to harmonize the Word of God, and so we understand that what we are about to read does not contradict anything that Peter has just said. So, Hebrews 3, we'll start in verse 12. Take care, brethren, brothers and sisters, take care, lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if, if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. You can see this is not easy. This seems to contradict everything that we have just said about the security of the believer. And we ought not come to passages like this and dismiss them and say, well, no, I'm going to pick the verse over in First Peter. I like that one better, so this one just, we'll just poof. We'll just eliminate this one from the Bible. No, that is not reading the Scripture in the way we ought to read it. This is the Word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. We don't know the author of Hebrews, so we can't blame him. But this is the Word of God inspired by the Spirit. First, I want to point out that the author of Hebrews is writing to believers. Take care, brothers and sisters. This is a believing congregation. And this is a warning. It is a real, true warning. It's a warning against an evil, unbelieving heart. It's a warning against falling away from the living God. It's a warning against apostasy. It's a warning against the hardening effects of sin. You know the hardening effects of sin. If you are a believer, you have not been hardened uh, unto damnation, but you know when you are callous towards the things of God. And you're, you're not as responsive to the Word of God. Sin hardens. So this is a true warning. An evil, unbelieving heart is a, a deliberate willful apostasy. This is what many of the Jews did in Numbers 14. And in fact, the author of Hebrews goes on to talk about that 
in the next few verses. But this is when they come out of the promised land, right? They are about to go in, or sorry, they come out of Egypt. They're about to go into the promised land. And the spies go in and they check out the land and they come back and say it has a lot of really good vegetables, a lot of really good fruits, but the people are going to destroy us. And the two faithful spies, Joshua and Caleb, stand up and say, no, the Lord is with us. We're going in. And the rest of the people say, let's get another leader and go back to Egypt. This is a willful apostasy, right? turning from the Lord. Later on in their history, Israel did this again. Right? In many times, in many different ways. Falling away from the living God. There are so many passages in the Old Testament about dead idols that the Israelites love to, to fall down and worship. And God just mocks them mercilessly. And He says, you, you, have, to, you have to pick a piece of wood that's going to stand upright. Like That's the value of your idol. And, and the Israelites would still fall down in front of these idols, falling away from the living God and down before dead idols. And as compared to the living God, it's absolutely preposterous. But our temptation is to do the same things with, with idols of our hearts. Right? I hope you don't have a, a carved idol in your home. I don't know anybody that does. But we have tons of idols living in our hearts. Things we want to worship, things we give our time and attention and allegiance to that are not the Lord. In fact, you see this in the parable of the sower. There's, there's two seeds that start growing. Right? One is plucked away immediately. And I'm sorry, there's three seeds that start growing. Two start growing but don't make it. Right? And, and, and the first one is choked out by the cares of this world. The entanglements right? the, the, amongst the thorns. This, the second one experiences tribulation and persecution and it doesn't have that root and so it withers and it faints. Both of those started growing. They started to show signs of belief, but it was revealed that they cared more about something else, and so they fell away. That that belief wasn't rooted and grounded like the one seed that grew and produced fruit. These are idols of the heart that can take over and pull us away from God so that we fall. This is the, the thing that I've seen most often when watching many kids come up and go through youth group. It is, it is very, it's a lot easier to be faithful when you're growing up in a Christian home and when you're going to church multiple times a week and you're having fun with people that love God. But there's something that comes at a, a teenager when they get out into the world and they start living on their own and, and the temptations hit and there's other people that disagree with the things of the scriptures. They're not surrounded as much by believers and the temptations hit hard. And that is usually when a teenager falls away. This is the deceitfulness of sin. Right? That there's an evil, unbelieving heart. There's falling away. There's being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Because sin is powerful. Why does it keep getting us again and again? Because it is powerful and there's something in us that desires it. If we are passive in this Christian life, sin will drag us straight to hell. And there's never a neutral in the Christian life. There's no coasting. Right? There is always this steady pressure 
from the world, from the devil, from our own sinful flesh to push us away from God. And so if we are coasting, if we are thinking that we're going to be okay, we'll just, we'll just get through, sin will, will push us away from God. Right? There's this constant fight that needs to be happening. You, you, you know it. You've felt it. You've experienced it, that lingering sin that you start to indulge. That consistent spiritual discipline that you start to neglect. And that drift starts for a day, maybe two, and then maybe a week. Uh, maybe you, know, you come back a little bit, and then another week or two, you're drifting more. And then you get to that point. It's, it's the how did I get here point. Or you stop, and you're so far away from the Lord, and you, you don't know how you got there. Well, it's because sin continues to push and try and force us away from God. And so there needs to be a continual fight so that we stay close to the Lord because these are real dangers. These are given as real warnings. Now, many of the things that I've just said could be used to support the idea that you can lose your salvation. But we have already established that is not a possibility. So how do we harmonize these and bring them together? You must, you must persevere in your faith. Right? Sin wants to harden you. You must hold your original confidence firm to the end. And if you do not, you will be lost. That is true. If you are a true believer, you will never fall away. God is guarding His people through faith, ensuring that they will hold on to their, their original confidence firm to the end, and that is something that He will never stop doing. He will complete that good work. He will carry His people through to the end. When we put these two together and try to understand them rightly together, I think one of the, the better things we can say is that a warning like Hebrews 3 is one of the ways that God preserves His people. Because what happens when a believer hears a warning such as this, when they hear that the path of sin leads to apostasy and leads to spiritual death, the true believer hears that warning and they step back from that path. And they return to the path of faithfulness and they continue to follow the Lord because they know that path only ends in death. And when they hear that warning, they're reminded and they continue on. And, and even if the true believer starts down that path, the Lord disciplines, the Lord chastises, the Lord brings people into their lives to bring them back. Many of us have probably read The Pilgrim's Progress. Right? There are many times when, when Christian gets off the path, whether it be Vanity Fair or whether it be the, the Tower of Despair. I, I'm certain I'm getting that wrong. I haven't read it in a little while. But he comes off the path many times, and there are many situations where it seems like he is in an impossible place. He cannot get out. And then there's always something. There's always something that happens. Somebody comes and rescues him, or he, he finds something in his pocket that he was given a while back that he remembers, oh, maybe this will be what gets me out of here. And it always works because, because God is going to ensure that his people make it to the end. Right? Christian never departs the path and is lost. 
The false believer, however, hears this warning and continues down the path of sin and the path that ends in destruction. And I think the hard part is that we don't understand or, or we don't have the ability to perceive necessarily who is who. All right, so we might see somebody who seems to be a faithful believer for a very long time. And we might see them fall away. And so it might confuse us, but God's promises have not been thwarted. We are simply seeing the reality and the truth of Scripture being lived out. All right, the true believer will persevere, and those who are not will not persevere. You see this even throughout the Scriptures. When writing to Timothy, Paul mentions three different people. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, he mentions Hymenaeus and Alexander. He said they made shipwreck of their faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he mentions Demas. He deserted Paul. So, so he, was, he was with the Apostle Paul. He was on missionary journeys. He was trusted. He was doing work with Paul. Paul says he deserted because he was in love with this present world. Judas lived for three years with the disciples. And none of them ever thought he was lost. But he was. And so the the problem is not who we see fall away. Right? It's just a question of whether or not we believe the Scriptures. Right? I want to finish with a an encouragement, a call from Hebrews chapter 3 here. As we continue to think about what perseverance looks like and how it is that we make it to the end, we know that we will, but we don't want to be those that fall away. And we can have doubts about our salvation. I spent many of my teen years doubting my salvation, not sure if I was saved. So what does it look like to persevere and to grow in that assurance? We never want to get to the point where we feel so sure in our faith that we start to sin freely. That is not evidence of being a true Christian. But we can have a biblical assurance that we are saved. And it comes as we persevere in the faith. And Hebrews 3 gives us some good clues as to what it will look like to do that individually and then also corporately. So first, he says to take care in verse 12. Take care. So heed this warning. Believer, this morning, right here, heed this warning. If you fall into sin and you continue down the path of sin and you start loving sin and rejecting the things of God, you will prove that He has not saved you. So understand that sin leads you down the path to death and don't take that path. Right? Turn from it. Persevere in faithfulness. Hear the warning, heed it, and stay on the narrow path. And do so with your eyes firmly fixed on Jesus Christ because He is the only one who gives you strength. He is the only one who upholds you. He's the only one that guarantees that you will make it to the end because you're going to make it in His righteousness. This is like Peter getting out of the boat and walking to Jesus. I think a, a good example of perseverance of the saints 
Peter has to get out of the boat. He has to step on the waves. But why is he walking on water? Right? It's Jesus. Right? Why does he start to stumble? Because he, he sees the troubles and the problems around him. Why does he not fall? Because Jesus picks him up. Right? That is the perseverance of the saints. Yes, we're stepping, but we're doing it with our eyes fixed on Jesus. We're doing it by His strength and His power, and He will never let us go. Right? So there is that, that reminder to step in faithfulness, but it is all of Him. It is none of us. The second thing, and I think the... Not the more important, but a very important thing from this passage is that the author of Hebrews says to exhort one another. It is a joy that we are not on the path together, or alone, sorry. We are not on the path alone. <laughs> there's, a, there's a joke in there that I don't need to make. Um, we are on the path together, and that is a joy. It is good to be with each and every one of you. It is good to be walking towards heaven with you. I, we could not do this alone. God knew that, and so He ordained the church, and He established it, and people will arrive together, right, at the end. And this is an important remedy to the danger of the sinful, unbelieving heart. This, so this is an admonition, a command to the church as a whole, and then to each member individually that we are to be in vigilant and constant exhortation and encouragement to each other so that no one falls away. You must be involved consistently in the life of the church in order to obey this command. Verse 13, Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another. Our mindset cannot be to simply pray and let the Holy Spirit do His work to carry people into heaven. Yes, pray. Yes, the Holy Spirit will work. But the means that God often uses to bring you and I to heaven is each other. The Holy Spirit's answer to your prayer might be, go talk to that person. Encourage them. Exhort them. At youth camp this year, I had a young man on my team who was a senior. And he had never been on my team before, and seniors get to pick their team leaders, so he chose me. We've had a, a good relationship over the years. And on Sunday at camp, we started talking about life and just started asking him some questions about what's been going on over the past year. And he started talking about a relationship that he got involved in with, with a girl and how it started to go sideways in terms of purity. And, and this is Sunday at camp. Like I, Usually you get the kids tired and emotional, and by Wednesday and Thursday you're having these conversations. But, but God ordained this conversation. And we're sitting in the middle of a field, and there's tons of people around us, and I said, why don't we go... You know, somewhere where we can talk a little more privately because this is not, you know, just letting me know how the past year has been. This is getting a little deeper. And so we started to talk about this and he, can, he starts confessing all of this sin to me and, and just the, the burden and the guilt and the, the wretchedness that he has been feeling. And then he had since broken up with her and it had been a few months and I asked him, have you repented? And he said, no. And, and he was broken and he was hurting. And I just told him, you need to repent. And he did. 
And, and he went to her later that week and repented to her. Why is he persevering to the end? Yes, because God's preserving him, but because by the grace of God, because God ordained our conversation, I was able to exhort him. Right? I don't take credit for that. I didn't even know where this conversation was headed when we started having it. But that is how God ordained that young man to be persevered at this moment in his life. And that is what we do for each other. One of the most depressing things about reading Genesis chapter 3, when Eve is deceived, is that it says she gave the fruit to her husband Adam, who was with her. What did he not do? Right? He didn't exhort. He didn't remind. He didn't speak up and say, Eve, we can't do this. Right? And the world was plunged into sin. So if you are missing fellowship, and if you see someone who is falling into sin, if you see someone growing in bitterness, if you hear gossip frequently occurring, the command is to exhort one another every day so that we are not hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This requires a tight-knit community. But a lack of close personal relationships is not an excuse. Do you know how you become a tight-knit community? Right? You start far apart, and then you do these one another commands to each other, and by the end of it, you're a tight-knit community. And so you don't wait to be really close to someone. Right? You love your brothers and sisters in Christ by exhorting them every day. There's a lot of us. I cannot exhort all of you every day. The elders cannot exhort all of you every day. In fact, the, the preaching of the Word is meant to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And this is one of the works of ministry that we do for each other. So that if, if one person is exhorting another brother or sister, and then, and then maybe another one during a, a week, and those two people are exhorting one or two people themselves, by the end of, of the week, right, the whole church is encouraging and exhorting and loving one another. And he says daily. You don't have to call me every day and give me a full analysis of my sin and remind me to pursue holiness. If you want to, I, I'll take the first few calls. But, but, but the point here is that we are to be frequently involved. Right? Regularly having intentional conversations, asking good questions. No one in this church should be a loner. If you are a loner, fix it. If you see a loner, go and befriend them in love because we are all, by the grace of God, headed for eternity together. So, in God's sovereign, perfect plan, you, Christian, and your fellow believers will make it to heaven. And one of the means that God will use is you exhorting each other so that you don't fall away from the Lord. Quick, small reminder here. There will come a day when you are the one who needs the exhortation. It may be something you need frequently. You, we must foster humility. 
Maybe ask others about your blind spots, the, the sins that you don't see. Right? We never want to be the, the people sitting in the, in the chair listening to the Word of God preach saying, you know, I'm really glad Pat's here. Yeah. He really needs this sermon. The reality is that we should all be really glad that we are here because we need this encouragement. Right? We need this challenge. We need to receive these things in humility because you are just as sinful as I am and we all need this. And so, you have persevered to the end. We are at the end. And as you continue to do these things and continue to see God bring you back and you continue to respond well to your brothers and sisters as you continue to live in faithfulness in the church, your assurance builds and grows as you see God working in your life and as you continue to persevere. It is not your work, it is His work, but we must persevere. As it says in Philippians 2, and we'll we'll close with this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Right? So we strive and we persevere and we ask God for His grace and His help and then we come to the end of the day, we come to the end of our lives and we just worship because it was all of Him and none of us. Let's pray. God, we thank You for this doctrine. We thank You for Your Word. Lord, we need Your work in our lives and we praise You that you will finish the good work you have started. Father, for every believer here, please remind them of this truth. Give them an assurance that is continually being built up as they see your work in their lives. Father, give every believer in here a confidence to know that you are the one who has saved them and you will keep them to the end. And Father, I pray for our our church collectively that you would help us to become a church that more and more exhorts and encourages and helps each other along the way. For Father, part of our perseverance is that we help each other not fall away. And then Father, I pray for everyone in here who is not a believer. Father, even if they think they are and they don't realize that they are lost, please reveal that to them. Show them that they are walking the sinful path of destruction so that they might be, be convicted and they might repent. And Lord, we worship you and thank you for it is, it is all of grace and it is all of Christ. And so we praise you in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with us for our closing song when we all get to heaven? <laughs>